I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Well, now, I was mostly right last night in what I said. Mostly, they gave me this when I came in. It says Eagles on it, if you can see. And I'm a, ESPN's going to hire me as a prognosticator because I said they were going to do well. And the Eagles did do well. And, uh, boy, down to that last play. Down to the very last play of the game. That was amazing. And I got to say, what a refreshing thing to see the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles Begin that interview by saying, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank God for Christians who are not ashamed of the Lord and are willing to say so publicly. Now, let me, uh, let me say two or three things. You're going to set the scene. I was, uh, somebody commented last night, you were going fast. Yes, I was. Well, I was going fast. I'm aware of that. And, uh, like a freight train trying to get done before six, and I slid in just under the wire last night. And I didn't even say anything about what we're doing in these early messages in the week. Um, we're in the book of James. Uh, I was actually in James when I was here last year. I was in chapters one and two. I have advanced all the way this year to James chapter four. When I teach at the Bible Institute, I teach... Daniel sometimes, and James sometimes, and Galatians sometimes, and a few other books here or there. But James probably most often. So I spend a lot of time thinking and looking into this book. And the outline of the book of James is very simple, really. Uh, sometimes the writers of the Bible are very easy to understand. James gives us the theme of the book very early on. Count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. It's how to respond godly in the time of trial. Well, James, how should we respond? Well, he gives us the outline of the book in James 1, verse 19 and verse 20. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, chapters 1 and 2. Slow to speak, chapter 3. Slow to anger, chapters 4 and Five. That's really what we're looking at here in these early messages in the week. And when you come to James chapter 4, basically he's going to tell us three things. He's going to tell us to stop doing three things. Number one, stop fighting. That's verses 1 through 10. Number two, stop slandering. That's verses 11 and 12. And then third, he's going to say stop boasting. That's verses 13 through 17. Stop fighting, stop slandering, stop boasting. We're going to, in these early messages in the week, go through chapter 4 and then a little bit into chapter 5. Now, I want to I wanna tell you what we're going to do at the end of the week. I'm going to skip over Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning, last, last message of the week. Just to make a little difference here, and because it's a fun thing to do, we're going to take the last session, and I'm not going to give a message per se in the way that I'm doing these other sessions. We're going to have a Bible Q&A, a Bible question and answer period on the Bible, on theology, 
on the Christian life, on things that you're looking for advice about. And here's how we are going to do it. Mike Bush is going to be, he's going to be leading the meeting on Friday morning. Mike, are you in here? I, let me see if Mike is here. Well, good. Then I can commit him completely without even asking him about it in advance. Mike is going to help me. He doesn't know this yet, but Mike is going to help me. He is going to, he's going to help me MC the Q and A. And here's what I want you to do. If you've got a question about the Bible, about theology, about the Christian life, spiritual life, maybe uh, uh, an issue about prayer or about praying for your prodigals or about dealing with the issue of doubt or assurance of salvation or how to witness, maybe just some of the practical problems of the Christian life. Here's what I want you to do. Write down your question and hopefully not an epistle, a question, not an epistle, but a question like a sentence or two. Okay, sometimes we get these long things and I can't get to the bottom of it, okay? Just a sentence or two with a question. Do not sign it because it doesn't matter. Your name doesn't matter. What? Well, your name matters, but it doesn't matter for the Q&A period, okay? So write down your question on a piece of paper and you can give it to me and I will stuff it in my official filing cabinet which is my left-hand pocket right over here, and I'll look at it later. Or you can give it to Mike Bush when you see him. And if you get to him before I do, he'll have no idea why you're giving him a question on a piece of paper. And don't even explain it to him. Just tell him you'll find out later, okay? So you can give it to Mike or... That sounds right, Rich, right? It's a word of life thing. Why, why, why give anybody advance notice, you know? It, it's not going to help at all. So that's going to be Friday morning. You can think about that today, tomorrow. We're not going to take live questions because I think it helps if you have time to think about the answers to give good biblical insight. So write it out. Give it to me. Give it to Mike. So that's going to be where we're going to wind up on Friday morning. I think that's going to be really, really fun thing. So last night at the end of the service, Mike asked me, what the message was going to be this morning. And I said, it's going to be the next passage. That's because I couldn't remember on the spur of the moment what the title, I knew the next passage, couldn't remember what the title was. The title of last night's message was, can't, why can't we all get along? A question. Why can't we all get along? That was James 4 verses 1 through 5. This morning from James 4 verses 6 through 10, how to jumpstart your spiritual life. How to jumpstart your spiritual life. Here we are in early February. It's still early in the year. A lot of us come into a new year. We want to make a fresh start. We want to get going in a new way. Well, in this passage, which really, uh, last night's passage, James 4, 1 through 5, is like the problem. The problem of fussing and fighting and feuding and anger and uncontrolled passion That's really the problem. This passage is really the answer. How do we deal with the uncontrolled passions of life? You get the answer in these verses, which I'm simply calling how to jumpstart your spiritual life. And basically, well, I begin with a story. The game was over. Georgia had just defeated Oklahoma in the semifinals of the college football playoff. Been a great game that night. Back and forth, up and down the field. 
Georgia ahead, Oklahoma ahead, came to the end of regulation. The game was tied. Came to the end of the first overtime. The game was still tied. An unbelievable turn of events. Blocked field goal, a made field goal. Georgia won and advanced to the national championship. Oklahoma was and is a great football team. They were led by their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback by the name of Baker Mayfield. Like all the great quarterbacks, he lacks nothing in the confidence department. Brash and cocky, loud and outspoken. He never saw a pass he couldn't make. He never saw a play drawn up that he couldn't perform. And he was very loud and very, well, very braggadocious. That's probably the best thing to say about Baker Mayfield. He's very, very great, very, very great uh, football player. And he had been very outspoken that night and leading up to that game. In fact, all season long. And his team lost. The game was over. Thrilling game. And as the teams are exiting the field, something happened I've never seen happen. College football field. A Georgia player looked over to Baker Mayfield, who'd been defeated, and shouted at him, humble yourself. And then shouted at him again, humble yourself. Now we don't know if Baker Mayfield and all the All the confusion heard that. But you can find that little video clip on the internet because it went viral. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And one of the other Georgia players said, hey man, the game's over. Let it go. I said to myself, I don't know if Baker Mayfield heard that. You can hear a lot of stuff after a football game. In all my life, I've never heard one player shout to another, humble yourself. That's good advice, not just for football players. That's good advice for all the people of God. And in fact, if you look at our passage this morning, James 4, verses 6 through 10, that is James' basic message to us. What is the cause of all the fighting and confusion and hatred and animosity in the world? Is it not... Your uncontrolled passions, the hedon the passions and desires that are at war within you. And, and I told you last night, the real problem of the world. Remember, it's not out there. Where is the real problem of the world? The real problem of the world is where? It's always in here. Pogo, we have met the enemy and he is us. What James is trying to tell us is that the problem of the human heart is the basic problem of pride. What's the first sin? The first and greatest sin. The sin that started it all was the sin of pride. Lucifer, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend. I will make myself great. If pride is the first sin, what is the first virtue? It must be humility. Which is why in this passage, he begins and ends by saying it twice. He says in verse 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And when he comes to the end in verse 10, he says it again. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Why do we fight? Why can't we get along? Why do we murder? Why do we steal? Why do we covet? 
Why are we so jealous? Why are we so unhappy? Is it not your uncontrolled passions? And underneath it, isn't it really the pride of life that lifts you up against God? And James is saying, if the problem is pride, then what that Georgia football player said, God says to all of us this morning, humble yourself before the Lord. Would you like to jumpstart your spiritual life this morning? Humble yourself. Would you like to grow in the Lord in 2018? Humble yourself. Would you like to find victory over besetting sin? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Now, let me tell you what is in this passage. There are a series of staccato, staccato commands. One right after another. Almost machine gun commands. Bam, 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 bam. All we need to know is the first one is humility. And the last one is humility. Here's what I find in this passage. Would you like to get a fresh start in 2018? Well then, there are six ways you can jumpstart your life. Just write these down, folks. We're going to go right through the passage. How do you jumpstart your life spiritually? Number one, take a knee. Take a knee. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, this is the book of Proverbs, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7a, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Humility is a hard virtue to define. You can look it up in the dictionary. The dictionary has a difficult time explaining it. You can read the theologians. The theologians have difficulty defining it. What exactly is humility? Well, C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's really not thinking of yourself at all. By definition, well, let me just ask you a question. And do not raise your hands. Do not. How many of you would say, I'm a humble person. Ouch. Ouch. All God's people said, ouch. I mean, how many would say, I mean, humility is a virtue that's easier to spot in other people than it is to see in yourself. Humility is that virtue which, when you think you have it, you've lost it. D.L. Moody prayed this way, Lord, make me humble. And don't let me know it. That's a good biblical approach. We had some friends who were serving in Nigeria. There's medical missionaries over there. Went over there to visit them. And we saw that the, these little buses, that, that, uh, that, that the little buses were their form of public transportation. A lot of them, you, you would see slogans on these buses. And often they were religious slogans. And our friends in Nigeria said, we saw a bus the other day, had a four-word slogan on it, man, no, be God. Man, no, be God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That's pretty basic. What is the first rule of the spiritual life? What is it? He's God and what? We're not. All spiritual growth begins there. And until you understand who's God and who's not, you are still in spiritual kindergarten. God opposes the proud. Why? Because the proud man lifts himself up. 
God opposes the proud because he doesn't depend upon the Lord. God opposes the proud because he thinks he did it all himself. God opposes the proud because the proud man takes credit for that which only God has done. Which is why the proud man must constantly boast. Because down deep inside the proud man, he is insecure. So he's got to tell you over and over again how great he is and how much he's done and how much money he has and all that he's accomplished in life. You can just write this down. You can write this down. If you've got to tell me how great you are, how great could you possibly be? If you have to tell me how great you are, how great could you possibly be? The truth of the matter is, people of this earth who are truly great, they don't have to boast. They understand that what they have has come from God. So I'm saying first, take a knee. How do you do that? How do you do that? So just some suggestions. Confess your sins. That's a mark of humility. Forgive your enemies. That's a mark of humility. Admit your mistakes. That's a big mark of humility. Stop bragging. That's a mark of humility. Serve with a smile. That's a mark of humility. And along that that line, I saw this the other day somewhere floating around on Facebook. I thought this was a good quote. The hardest part about being a servant is being treated like a servant. Oh, how true that is. The hardest part about being a servant is being treated like a servant. The question is, is it okay with you if when you serve others, you are treated like a servant? That's how you develop humility. Or Or do you demand recognition for what you have done? So step number one is take a knee. God opposes the proud. Put a little asterisk by that. We'll come back to it near the end of the message. God opposes the proud. That's his word to you and me. That's not a word to lost people, though it certainly applies, but it's his word to us. Don't let that happen to you. So number one, take a knee. Number two, fight back. Fight back. He says in verse seven, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word resist is exactly what it sounds like. It's a military term means you dig the ditch. It means you blow up the bridge. It means you see the enemy coming. You build the parapets. It means that you get in a defensive posture. It means you understand that you are going to be attacked. It means, well, you know, when you leave home, the very last thing, very last thing we did when we left home yesterday to to come down here, uh, we, 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 we locked the door. We actually, Marlene is smiling because we did it twice. Because I went to the car first, and she locked the door. And then she got in the car, and I said, did you lock the door? And she said, of course. So what did I do? Yeah, I, I got out of the car, went back up there just to, I don't, I don't even know. I'm really just confessing. I'm just confessing myself here, trying to get everything made right, you know. But look, look, if you live in a big city, you better lock your door, right? You better lock your car. Kind of world we're living in. To resist means you understand you are under attack every day. Be sober. Be vigilant. Wake up. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, he's prowling about looking for someone to devour. Now, here's a great sentence. Watch this. We are to flee temptation. We are to resist the devil. That's good. 
not original with me. We are to flee temptation. We're not to, we're never told to resist temptation. We're told to run from it, right? Clear the area. When temptation comes in, we're to go the other way. But here we are told we are to stand and fight when the devil attacks. Stephen Davy, who's going to be here preaching in just a few weeks, he made a comment in one of his sermons. He said, and this is a great, this is a, this is a fitting comment for the day after the Super Bowl. He said, the reason we got to be alert is because Satan has game film on us. He got game film on us. You know what they, you know what they do? Uh, okay, watch this. Watch this. Three years ago, three years ago, Super Bowl, Seattle versus New England. Also a thrilling game. It came down to the last 27 seconds of the fourth quarter. And Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks had driven down the field. And they were down on the New England one-yard line. One yard away from scoring and winning the Super Bowl. They had one timeout left. And and Russell Wilson drops back and there's that slap play uh, where the wide receiver comes into the inside and... Instead of being complete, instead of being dropped, it was intercepted by New England on the one-yard line. Game over, Super Bowl one. The cornerback for New England said, I watched their film. I watched their film. I knew they liked to run that play. That man was Malcolm Butler. For some reason, Sterling, Sterling cornerback for New England, for some reason, they really didn't play him. He was benched last night. Either didn't play much or didn't play at all. Maybe he was the one who was kind of, who had his hands covered during the uh, God Bless America because they had just told him he wasn't going to play. He was the one that saved the Super Bowl for his own team three years ago. Okay, so you come down last night. And it's what? It's uh, 38 seconds left in the first half, right? 38 seconds left. It's the, the gutsiest call in Super Bowl history. Philadelphia runs that crazy play with 38 seconds left and puts Nick Foles over here and, and, and direct snap and flip it back. And Foles kind of stands there and goes out and they flip it to him. Touchdown. Nick Foles, the only quarterback in Super Bowl history to throw a touchdown and catch a touchdown in the same game. You know what they call that play? Philly special. Philly special. Why wasn't New England ready for it? Because Philadelphia had seen the Chicago Bears run it two years ago against Minnesota and it had worked. They had had it in their playbook all season long and had never Used it before last night. Never used it before. So, New England had no game film on it. So they weren't expecting that. And that fella, Trey Burton, who threw the pass, he had been a high school quarterback. He'd been in the NFL four years. Had never thrown a pass in the four years. And that's an unbelievable, that's an unbelievable call. Unbelievable play. And New England couldn't stop it. They stopped Seattle because they had the game film. They'd seen it. They couldn't stop that play last night because they didn't have game film on that. Don't miss the point. I just had to get all that Super Bowl stuff in there. So you know I was doing sermon preparation last night. But don't don't miss the big point here. Satan's got game film on you. He's got game film 
He knows how to get you discouraged. He knows how to get you distracted. He knows how to whisper in your ear seductively. And by the way, I do not believe that Satan's greatest weapon is sexual temptation or money temptation or power temptation. I believe by far Satan's greatest weapon is discouragement. Discouragement. If he can get the children of God discouraged, we will throw our weapons down and we will walk off the field. That's the one weapon he's got. He's got game film on you and me. He knows how to attack us. So, don't be surprised. James is saying, don't be surprised when the devil comes at you. Fight back. How do you resist the devil? Get in the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. Do what Jesus did. Answer him back with the Word of God. Sing the great hymns of the faith. I, that's another whole sermon. But I'm a big believer that, that Christian music sung out loud is one of our greatest weapons against the devil. Just just sing out loud to the Lord and watch the devil go running away. Do not forsake the assembling of yourself together. The fellowship of the saints of God. The Lord's table. Confessing your sins and confessing Christ openly. Use the tools God has given you. The thief has come, Jesus said, to steal and to kill and to destroy. The devil is a murderer. If he can, he'll murder your marriage. If he can, he'll murder your family. If he can, he'll murder your career. If he can, he'll murder your testimony. If he can, he'll murder and blow up your whole church. So, resist the devil with the weapons of God. Stand and fight, child of God. Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. Number three, draw near. Draw near, verse 8. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. This is really deep down in the Old Testament. The idea of coming near to the Lord. Just understand something. Understand. The issue is never how close is God to us. He's closer than we can imagine. The issue is always how close are we to Him. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Every married couple understands there's a difference between proximity and intimacy right there's a big difference when things aren't right you can be sitting on the sofa together and be 10,000 miles apart when things aren't right you can sleep in the same bed and be spiritually separated by a million miles When things aren't right, why, what do you know? You can go to a church service at a Bible conference and be a thousand miles separated from each other. Proximity is one thing. Intimacy is something else. So take another married couple where things are good between them. And when things are good, she can play the piano and he will plop on the sofa And she plays, and he listens, and he's happy, and she's happy. When things are right, you can sit next to each other for hours and really not say a word and be as close as you can possibly be, right? Right. This is what, this is what James wants us to think about. This is the issue of drawing near to God. This isn't about the outward manifestations. This is about the heart. You know why that's good? It's good because any Christian can draw near to God. You don't have to go to seminary.
to draw near to God. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to draw near to God. You don't have to be some well-versed saint to draw near to God. You can be the youngest child of God. and You can walk in close fellowship with Him. It doesn't depend on knowledge. It depends on the heart. I think that's really good news. When I was growing up, you used to hear it said this way about drawing near in the distance. If God feels far away from you, who moved? Who moved? It's never God. So number three is draw near to God. Number four is clean up. Clean up. Do you want to jumpstart your spiritual life? You got to take a knee. You got to, you got to uh, fight back. You got to draw near. Number four, you got to clean up. Cleanse your hands. That's very Old Testament. Very Old Testament. You know, you don't come into the temple of God with dirty hands, right? You don't do that. You don't come. You don't draw near to God with your hands dirty. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. He's talking to us. Purify your hearts, you double-minded, swaying this way and swaying that way. How are you going to clean yourself up? I'm just going to make a suggestion and then move right on. Um, you decide to, if you feel like you need to get serious about cleaning up your life, let me give you a little thing to do. I've done this before on a number of occasions. You need to get alone. You get a piece of paper and a pen or use your iPad. Get along with the Lord and ask yourself this question. Lord, show me the truth about myself. Show me the truth about myself. Show me who I am apart from your grace. Show me who I am apart from the work of Christ. Lord, show me. Show me the unvarnished truth about myself. Let me tell you, let me tell you this. You cannot do this casually. Because if you do this casually, God will not answer. And my experience has been that when I have done this, my biggest problem is unwinding long enough to listen to the voice of the Lord. Because I got so much just whirring around in my head, right? But I've found that if you'll stop and listen... Maybe you have to ask it two or three times. But in the quietness, God will say, there's a selfish streak in you. There's an unkind spirit in you. There's a spirit of pride inside you. There's a spirit of cowardice inside you. And I just begin to write down what the Lord shows me. It's not a pretty list. Okay? It's not a pretty list. But James is saying, you can't wash your hands until you know your hands are dirty, right? You can't. You can't. This is part of letting the Lord show you the truth about yourself so that when it's all said and done, and I have, I have sometimes done it in cotton, I have been appalled at how long the list was. You know, we all tend to give ourselves credit, more credit than we really do. Okay? You see that long list and go, Man, I'm not a very nice person. Well, that's exactly right. That's, that's, we're all just miserable sinners apart from the grace of God, right? Apart from grace, we are all just miserable sinners. And it's good every once in a while to come back and deal with that. Then when you get to the bottom of it, then you can begin to claim 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our, Lord, this is true. Lord, this is true. Lord, this is true. Lord, I'm not going to argue with you about that. I see it. If we confess our sins, 
He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what? Cleanse us. Cleanse us. First John 1, 9, the same as James 4. Cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. You want, a, you want a fresh start? You got to clean up. Number five. Go deeper now. Get serious. Get serious. Verse nine. Here is a verse before I read it. Let me tell you. I've never known anybody to take James 4, 9 as their life verse. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Wow. Wow. I mean, really, what a bummer. I mean, talk about being a Debbie Downer. I mean, come on. This is not exactly your best life now. This is not exactly the abundant life or the victorious life that we all say we want. But guess what? I'm just reading it to you. I'm just reading it to you right out of the Bible. I mean, this, I didn't make this stuff up. It's in here. It's God's word to you and me. Be wretched. Who wants to be wretched? Mourn. Don't worry. Be happy. Weep. That's a downer. If we laugh, we should stop it and start mourning. If we have joy, turn it into gloom. So I, 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 I want to come back here and go. He's told us earlier, count it all joy. So, so I ask myself a question. Is James a killjoy? No, that can't be right. Is he a nattering nabob of negativism? Whatever that is, that's not who he is. Number three, is James some kind of angry, frowning Puritan? That's not fair. Because the Puritans were supremely happy in God. So what's really going on here? What's going on? Do some of you know the name R.C. Sproul of Ligonier Ministries? Great Reformed theologian, written a great many books down the, down the coast from us a little ways. Great man of God and a terrific communicator. Went to be with the Lord in December. And after he died, Russell Pulliam wrote a column of appreciation in the Washington Post. It's very interesting. An appreciation for one of our great evangelical theologians in the Washington Post. And Russell Pulliam himself is evangelical. And in that article, he talks about how Sproul's theology was shaped by the theology of John Calvin. If you ever heard Sproul speak and write, you know that he, he, he talked about the teachings of Calvin. And then he said, it was that theology which led to this. Quote, I'm just now quoting from the Washington Post. Sproul believed we are more sinful than we usually think we are. That's really good. Sproul believes that we are more sinful than we usually think we are. Number one, that's totally true about R.C. Sproul and his theology. But even more than that, that's totally true to where Americans are today. That's the last part of the phrase. He believed we are more sinful than we Americans usually think we are. Here's the deal. It is not hard, theoretically, to get people to agree they are sinners in a broad theoretical sense. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes and, you know, 
you may blow it, but you know, nobody's perfect. And, and, and it's not hard on a theoretical basis to get Americans to agree to a generalized, well, nobody's perfect. Everybody goes, that's right. Nobody's perfect. And if you want to say we're all sinners in that way, yeah, it's true. I'm not perfect. Watch this. That's not what the Bible means when it talks about sin. The Bible, well, to use a, a phrase that R.C. would use, talked about the total depravity of man. Total depravity means sin has touched every part of us. Our mind, our heart, our will, our emotions, our habits, our speech, what we do with our body. We are stained with sin. We are deeply imbued with sin. Sin has infected and affected every part of who we are, which is why the Bible says, left alone by ourselves, we are dead in our sins. We are spiritually blind. We are lost. We are helpless. We are completely unable to save ourselves. And the Bible teaches about the whole human race that we are such rebels. We are so ungodly. We are such the enemies of God. We are so spiritually separated from God that we are all under the wrath of God. And if God doesn't do something, the whole human race will be damned to eternal hell. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. That's God's verdict. That we are all in the same boat and the boat has sprung a leak. And the boat is going down and the whole human race will perish unless God does something. Which, by the way, is what the gospel is all about. God has done something in the greatest rescue mission in history when he sent his son to die on the cross and rise from the dead. Now listen to me. That grim diagnosis. We are all infected with the cancer of sin. We are all spiritually dead, spiritually blind, spiritually lost, separated from God, opposed to God, the enemies of God, under the wrath of God. We are all the children of wrath. Now listen, that's God's verdict. Read the Bible. I didn't make any of that up. Read the Bible. Look, if you don't believe that, or if you think that's too harsh, or if you can't handle the truth, then this verse, James 4, 9, will make no sense to you. You see, it all depends on how messed up you think you are. Small sinners, they need a small Savior. Moderate sinners, a moderate Savior. Big time sinners need a big time savior brothers and sisters we are all big time sinners until we come to grips with that we are not really going to get serious we're not really going to get serious there's another way to look at verse 9 weep and mourn and wail and laughter return to mourning your joy to gloom I, I call to get serious you could just say repent because this is really the picture of repentance. Do you know what the first step in repentance is? The first step in repentance is to stop making excuses. Write that down. The first step in repentance is to stop making excuses. You will never get better as long as you excuse your lousy attitude. 
you'll never get better as long as you excuse your unkindness, your greed, your moodiness, your churlishness, your unkindness, your uncontrolled sexual lust. As long as you make excuses for yourself, you can't get better. But when you finally see what a great sinner you are, then you'll understand what a great Savior Christ is. And you'll get serious. You'll repent. And you will discover what? Weeping may endure for a night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. There's one more and we're done. Here's the sixth step. Six ways to jumpstart your spiritual life. Stay low. Stay low. The first one was take a knee. God opposes the proud, but what? God opposes the proud. He draws near to the humble. And verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you. Some years ago, when Don Locke, who is now the leader of a great worldwide Word of Life movement, when he had just been appointed, and there was a, you know, a period of a few years there before he finally took over, when he had just been appointed the next director of the worldwide Word of Life movement. I mean, just they just made the announcement. First time I saw Don after that, was uh, up in New York. It was in the summer, whatever year that was. We were, Marley and I were at a little party with uh, over at Wayne and Ruthie Lewis's house, having ice cream and cake and telling stories. Don had just been appointed. He would become the director a few years later. And he said something that night that still rings in my mind today. He said, you know, to be come the director of world life that's a big 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 thing it is it's this is a massive worldwide movement don said he had called his mentor our good friend howard Hendricks, prof Hendricks, longtime friend of word of life now in heaven don called prof Hendricks down at dallas seminary and said you know they want me to become the director what should i do and don said howard Hendricks gave him the following advice. Lie low and exalt Christ. Lie low and exalt Christ. My dear friends, you can write it down. You can take this to the bank. We can brag on ourselves or we can exalt Christ. But we cannot do the same. Cannot do them both at the same time. Whenever you can find a man or a woman who is willing to lie low, and exalt Christ. Who cares more for the reputation of the Lord than he does about his own reputation. When you find a man like that. Or a woman like that. There's no limit to what that man. What that woman can do. So in the chaos. After the game last night. Nick Foles. Who almost quit football. Nick Foles. Who wants to be a pastor when he finishes football? Nick Foles, who is enrolled with Liberty Online. They were, I don't know if they're having school up there in Lynchburg this morning. On that big stage with hundreds of millions of people watching, they asked him what he thought. His first sentence was, All glory to God. All glory to God. That's how we all ought to live. Lord, all glory to you, none to me. 
all to you. When I pray in the morning, I very often pray like this. And I got this from a friend of mine in Chicago who told me this. You know the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever. My friend told me, he said, I pray that last part every day. I said, what do you mean that last part? He said, I pray every day. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. So I pray that every day to remind myself, it's not about my kingdom. It's not about my power. It's not about my glory. So when I pray it, and I encourage you to do this because it is a simple way to do this. I pray it very often this way. Lord, let your kingdom come even if mine must go. Lord, let your power be seen even if my power has to disappear. Lord, let your glory be manifest even if my glory comes to nothing because my kingdom doesn't matter. My power is nothing anyway. My glory is going to fade away. Lord, your kingdom. Lord, your power. Lord, your glory. All glory to God. So the Georgia player shouted out, Humble yourself. And what he said, God says, Do you need a fresh start? Then take this passage to heart. Take a knee. Fight back. Draw near. Clean up. Get serious. Stay low. And remember, he begins and ends in the same place. Take a knee. Stay low. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will lift you up. If you ever go to the Holy Land, and I hope you do, I hope you do, it'll revolutionize your walk with God when you do that. When you go to the Holy Land, one of the places you'll go is Bethlehem, birthplace of our Lord. And they will, every tour goes there, there's a big church there, It is thought by some to be the oldest church in Christendom, the Church of the Holy Nativity in Bethlehem. It at least go down to its foundations. They say it goes back, the first building erected here maybe 1,800, 1,900 years ago. I mean, nobody really knows. It's built over the reputed place where Jesus was born. And you go there and they take you down to that fancy, that, well, I said fancy, but that grotto with all the candles and lights and everything, and the star, they said Jesus was born right there. Well, you know, I don't know, but, but when you're in Bethlehem, you're in the neighborhood, right? You're pretty close, might be there, someplace close, all right? So it's built over the reputed spot where Jesus was born. Everybody goes there. Here's the, here's the amazing thing. When you go to the church of the nativity, this, it's vast, huge, vast building. It's got all these parts and it's very, very old and it's been built and torn down and many centuries old and it's come. It doesn't look like what we think of as an American evangelical church, like a thousand miles away from what we think of as a church, but it is old and it's beautiful and historic. And, and to get into the building, those of you who've been there know what I'm going to say now. There, there's really only one way in. There's, there's this vast hallway, I guess, big as this, Big, big as this building, but maybe even going further back, what we would call the main sanctuary. And to get in there, there's this very tiny opening about like, about like this. And if you are a tall guy like me, and you want to get into the church of the nativity, you've got to bend down really, really, 
really low. Kind of where your back almost hurts. Now, if you're short, maybe it's not a big deal. Okay? But it's, 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 it's always struck me to get into the oldest church in Christendom. You gotta bend down low to go through that entrance. And then you, before you do it, you, you stand back and see, there's an archway there. An archway. And you realize, hey, this used to be an, uh, used to be a big open archway into the church. It's, it's, it's not anymore. It's all bricked up and they got this little opening. That's because back in medieval times, the big shot rich guys of that area who thought they were really important liked to ride their horses into the church. And the priest who controlled the church allowed us how they didn't think that was very respectful. So they bricked up the big archway and created this tiny little entrance. So everybody who comes in has got to go down low. There is a lesson here if we'll take it. If you want to go to heaven, you got to get off your high horse. <laughs> you got to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Verse 6 says, God opposes the proud. Could a Christian be the enemy of God? Yes, yes, yes. These words are for us, not for outsiders. You could be a child of God and be an enemy of God at the same time in the sense that you are walking in pride and self-will, making excuses for your behavior. And here's the warning from the Lord. I will oppose you in your pride if you will humble yourself and get off your high horse I will lift you up. So, my whole message comes down to this. We can humble ourselves in the eyes of the Lord, and we should. Or, we can just go and live in our own way until God decides He's going to humble us. It's like those, remember those, remember those old commercials for Fram oil filters? You can pay me now, you can pay me later. You can humble yourself and you'll be glad. Or you can wait till God does. And that's a lot more painful. Here at the end, I just want to say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Lord, grant us grace that we might humble ourselves in your sight. Lord, show us where we have drifted from you. Show us our pride. Expose our wrong attitudes. Shine the light of your word on the hidden parts of the heart. Where we have sinned, O Lord, have mercy. Restore us, O Lord, that we might rejoice in you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.